I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1967. The album is Takeoffs and Put Ons. The artist is George Carlin. And yet at the same time, some of those things are true and some of them are not. I'll explain in a moment. My guest is Sandy Danto. Thank you so much for being here again. Thank you for having me. So last time we talked about Sam Kinison, you challenged me by playing Sam Kinison, but making me listen to Sam Kinison for the first time. Uh, You'd never... I forgot that you had never... Yeah. yeah. I only knew of him. You know, it's I just knew a, it was Captain Screamy Pants. Really. wild first listen. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I had a couple weeks ago, had somebody else also pick Sam Kennison, and she was the reverse, where she's like, I listened to it a lot as a kid, and I don't like it anymore. And I was like, you know, so it was, uh, it was an interesting I've shift. maybe turned the corner on it. I think I listened to it recently, and I was just like, maybe... Uh... <laughs> Maybe this didn't age as well. <laughs> but, you know, I, I will say this. Stylistically mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just structurally, the way he did comedy is unlike anyone before. Absolutely. And anyone ever since. Oh, I won't deny that. I won't deny and, that at all. And it's completely unique and no one's even attempted. I've seen, when I first got to the comedy store, I saw some people that were trying to do that style. Really? And, you know, actually, there are a few that, that like, can pull it off, but mm-hmm. it's, like, very obvious that it's Sam. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, when I first got there in 2006 to the comedy store, that it was... He was still prevalently influencing a lot that of people sense. there. That and makes sense. Since it's a uh, recent uptick in popularity, it's sort of... He's sort of been put back into the uh, the storage space. Uh-huh. <laughs> so let's explain what happened very quickly. There's a miscommunication that uh, I'm going to say neither of us is to blame for. Uh, you wanted to listen to a kind of like it when a lot of people die, which is the I think the most recent unearthed. Well, it it was originally album. from 2001. It was, it was re- oh that one yes okay yes. that's right that's right and but they only they finally released it a couple of years ago. Yeah. Okay. So what I did is I re-listened to takes off, take off some put-ons for like the thousandth fucking time. But <laughs> it's fun because we're going to be talking about two different ends of Carlin. And you're going to be talking about the end of Carlin that I don't particularly necessarily care for. I don't hate Carl. I would never. I love Carlin. But I love hippy-dippy George Carlin a right, ton. Right, of course. And, and like fucking black turtleneck Carlin. Is that more your guy? Um, I'll say this. I, I think that guy is more interesting. Mm-hmm. but less funny. Okay. All right. I said turtleneck, by the way. I just mean black shirt. Somebody's going to give me shit for yeah. saying the wrong shirt type. Okay. All right. That's interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I absolutely uh, do. It's de- he's definitely at the top of his game philosophically uh-huh. and as a humorist, but, you know, it, it just kind of... Uh, where Whereas he used to kind of feed you some one-liners mm-hmm. to... Mm-hmm. To make the medicine of whatever else he was saying go down. Yeah. There's a little less of that. While it still has funny moments and punchlines, it's just a little less than... And, you know, last night I had to... I got bumped by Dave Chappelle. Uh-huh. And he's... I've, just, I've noticed... And I watched his new specials that are being, uh, you know, either loved or think pieced about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he sort of is in the same territory where he doesn't mind just going off on a philosophical, very uh, thoughtful tangent, something Mm -hmm. that he obviously thinks a lot about without 
paying any attention to structurally adding a punchline. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. then after some long-winded talk, talking point, I guess, mm-hmm. he will have something very fun. And, you know, it, it's almost like how Norm MacDonald will uh, go on. Like, he'll have a really long-winded joke uh-huh. where, like, part of the humor is like, you're four minutes into the joke <laughs> setup and nothing funny has happened. And that's funny on its own. You're yeah. like, all right, <laughs> I'm still listening here. This is ridiculous and mundane. And then five minutes later, after more of that, mm-hmm. there's some ridiculously hilarious punchline. Yeah. But his is more abstract and these are more set in reality. Right. Or, or you know, just their, their angle on any given subject that's yeah, controversial. Yeah, yeah. I can I, I, I can see that. And it, what's interesting too is you, we have you've got a big difference with Chappelle now or Carlin at the time that this is recorded even is no matter what that person's a personality. So what you say is all of a sudden something new entirely. It's not a comic working their way up anymore. You're a personality. Right. And one but but Something I've noticed that's a similarity between somebody who's working their way up Mm -hmm. and whether it's Dave Chappelle or George Carlin, George Carlin specifically, is that they not only will, but prefer to talk about stuff that you're not supposed to talk about, Mm -hmm. which is something I've noticed that open mic or people working their way up Mm -hmm. comics love to do, but only the masters can really pull off i see what you're saying it, the, the difference too is like i mean do you well you maybe you would know uh i mean when you're when you were working your way up right at the beginning did it feel is there a uh i've got nothing to lose because when you're rich as fuck you really don't i mean you have a lot to lose but you've 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 got it banked so if you quit you're gonna be fine my you know is there freedom in i think when you're at the beginning yeah but it Really, when you're at the beginning, you're really just doing an impression of those guys that you Mm -hmm. admire for doing that. Sure. And when you're those guys, you're doing it as, well, I've been doing this for 30 years. How can I challenge myself? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How can I make a very unpopular opinion? How can I win people over by talking about something that's very unpopular to say? Yeah, and I honestly, and I'm a person who like, Unless that's done artfully, I can't handle it. But if it is done artfully, even if I disagree with them and I know they're trying to fuck with me, I still respect it. You know, I can respect that. Me too. Um, so let's... Hashtag me too, no pun intended, <laughs> to what is so controversial about Chappelle's special. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, so if we go to Carlin, mm-hmm. early Carlin. So th- here's the stuff that's on here. Him talking about radio, him talking about TV. That's just about it. Him just doing commercials and this and that. And that mm-hmm. and Wonderful wino, that kind of stuff. That's literally the whole album. Right. 45 minutes of Carlin. Do- and it's I fucking love it because it's delightful and some of the jokes are really, really solid. What I don't understand is why comedy albums... Well, I understand why at a certain point it was just the comics hour. But mm-hmm. why now... With Netflix and podcasts and YouTube, do comics just put out basically like, who the, who the fuck, do you mind if I swear? Oh, no, please, go ahead. Is it going to upset your sponsors? <laughs> yeah. um, who the fuck is buying comedy albums? Maybe on iTunes, I guess Sometimes, I have Apple sure. Music or Spotify yeah. and somewhere on there. But but why why do you need seven, sev- several different mediums of the same content Mm -hmm. why aren't why aren't comedians putting out albums like that where it's Mm -hmm. at least you know 
breaking form. Right. So you mean as opposed to putting out a special and an album at the same time, or well, put it, why put out a special and an album at the same time mm-hmm. of the exact same material? Why do I want to just listen to? I guess if you're on a road trip and mm-hmm. you know podcasts are popular, but wouldn't you want to? Dr- maybe put snippets of the stuff that you have visually to, mm-hmm. to draw people to want to watch. Sure. And I have a problem with specials in general, just cause I, I think stand up specifically is a live medium. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to put out a special, it should be something special, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not just you doing an hour of your material that you work on. I think that's important, but I, sure. I, I think that not all I'm saying is there's room for so much more innovation. Mm hmm. Do you have, you don't have to say, do you have plans in your head for what? Yes. Yes, you of do. Of course, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lots of different ones. I mean, yeah. I know you've already, you've already fucking done some insane shit anyway. Right. But I just <laughs> don't understand why, especially in this age where there's so many avenues for content, mm-hmm. so much content, so much of the same content, why we can't just, not, without trying too hard to make it weird or different, mm-hmm. but like. There's just so much. I think because you know people with the money are scared to do something, yeah, risky. But yeah, I mean, because all the specials kind of look the all same. All it takes is one, and Chelsea's sure. Peretti, Chelsea Peretti's was really yes. different and cool. Yes, and there have been a few others. Mm-hmm. I think Harlan Williams did one in the desert, or Doug Stanhope That's did great. Maria Bamford. They all did weird ones, and no one's really taking the cue on that. Right, and they didn't do anything that was in, like in like you said, what were they weren't trying too hard. Right. It was of them. It seemed like that, and, and honestly, I mean, that's one of the things I love about comedy albums, is at the very least, like, at least with the art, or at least with some kind of presentation, or playing with the idea that you're listening to a record, there's a lot of room to play. Right, and that's what I love about George Carlin's early records, is that it's commercial parodies and mm-hmm. radio parodies and what have you and just to tie it in back to the miscommunication we had uh-huh. on which we were listening to since we listened to different stuff the one that i listened to um i like it when a lot of people die or i kind of like it when a lot of people die it is it's it starts with a rant that mm-hmm. i i'm not sure whether or not he's on stage maybe he is maybe he isn't then it goes into a set of his mm-hmm. which is like six or seven tracks and then there's interviews Interesting. So why, you know, just that dynamic would be great for any for yeah. anyone's comedy album. I agree. If yeah. you have a podcast, why not include, or you've done somebody else's podcast, so maybe the people that listen to yours don't listen to the other person's. You know, just, all I'm saying is, comedy albums have, have room for improvement. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree. I, I love the, that, uh, I love that we're talking about how to improve the comedy album or the special or whatever the fuck. That's cool. We don't get to talk about this that often. I I don't think it gets talked about enough. No, no, absolutely not. There have been so many great innovations in comedy and media in general. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love like an early like some of the stuff we've talked about that people don't pick often enough is like Albert Brooks or Lily Tomlin. They mm-hmm. fucked with the sketch comedy album like nobody's done right. ever. And, and Adam Sandler did too. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was super fun. I, I mean, I've I. I almost have banned talking about him on the podcast because we talked about I'm him sure. so many times. I'm sure, I'm but sure. I'm still open. If somebody's got a new angle on Sandler, let's do you it. You know who else did a really good one? Mm. Um, and I, I don't know if it came out on vinyl, but mm-hmm. Eddie Pepitone did a really good one. That, that which had... one was it? Because I have one of his on vinyl for sure. He, a few of his. Have been it's not his, his. It's from a while ago. Okay. I don't know. Okay. He's, he's like yelling at his father, <laughs> which I mean could maybe be just about anything he does of course of course uh 
I don't know. I can't remember. I have it on CD somewhere, mm-hmm. and I remember listening to it before I had a car that had Bluetooth connectivity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's really funny. I, I wish I remembered the name of it. What is some stuff on this the Carlin album that you picked? Why did you pick it in the first place? I picked it because it's really interesting that it was supposed to come out in 2001, well before he died. Mm-hmm. He died in what, like 2008? Eight, yeah. And it was released eight years after he died in 2016. And it's amazing how comedy specifically, but, you know, any, any sort of uh, art can both be dated and before it's time. Mm-hmm. But I think most interestingly, comedy can be, especially just people's takes on things have the ability to be both dated in the way they talk about it, but also specifically this album, he's talking about Osama bin Laden before 9-11, like right before 9-11. That's fucked up. Okay. Like right, July yeah. 2001. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. About farts being uh, uh, talking about farts in coach from (laughs) (laughs) on flights coming from third world countries being terrorist attacks and Osama bin Laden getting blamed for that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that's the bit that maybe kept this from coming out. Really? God, that's so weird. I mean, it makes sense. I get it. Yeah. I get it. But wow. But a whole album's worth of shit. Right. But he, you know, but at the same time, he is very out of date language and takes on, on gender and mm-hmm. sexuality and race yeah. that, that make it seem dated. But at the same time, there's a, the, the title bit, I kind of like it when a lot of people die, mm-hmm. goes from just talking about. <laughs> catastrophes and what he loves about them mm-hmm. mm-hmm. into this stream of consciousness rant that borders on being a Rick and Morty episode uh-huh. and then comes back around to, to, to the beginning. It, uh-huh. it's, it's crazy, but you know, it talks about, and it, and it, it's before it's time in that like very sage like predictions of, of how, we treat modern catastrophes and mm-hmm. natural disasters. Yeah. He just finds this fucking way around that I respect and also just can't listen to mostly, which is yeah. like, I'm going to play the worst asshole. I have some strong opinions for sure, but I'm channeling both these things at once and I'm going to be, I'm going to play this guy who legitimately wants a lot of people to die. Here's my thesis. Play along with me. Let's see how far we can go right, with this. Right, right. And then we all know anybody who's ever heard the man interviewed knows he's the love lo- was the loveliest man on the planet. Of course, you know. I mean, you couldn't do that on. Well, I don't say you couldn't, but for the most part, if you're going to do that and play it reliably, uh, it, that's coming from your gut. It's coming from your bile that you would set aside because you're a person. Of course, but I think there's something about, especially when you're a lovable mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. with with strong opinions. That you see that as a challenge to, let's see how likable I really am. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see how far I can take this likability. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely something I relate to. I'm, I've The reason I moved to LA is because I was tripping on mushrooms in college, thinking to myself, couldn't find a major, you know, was pressured to, to want to do 
business or pre-law or okay. whatever. Okay. Journalism, something, you know, where I could make a good living and security and all that. And I was I was like, what am I the best at that I can enjoy doing 30, 40 years from now? Mm -hmm. And I was just like, well, I've never had a hard time making friends. That's probably the thing that comes easiest to me. And being funny. Mm -hmm. So entertainment, something in there, you know, probably comedy, but maybe if that doesn't work, something in and around it. Mm -hmm. A juggler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not well coordinated enough, but, but maybe if I put my mind to it. Sure, yeah. sure. And I think with once you put your mind to that or, or set your sight on it and it goes well, you just get bored mm -hmm. getting by on it. So mm -hmm. you have to challenge yourself to, to, to see just how likable you really are. Mm -hmm. And George Carlin definitely does that. Yeah. So that must, but that's got to come from like this, you must have at some point had an overwhelming feeling that that was happening to you. Was it from audience reaction or friends reactions? Like what, what made, set you off and made you start going down your own path of what, how, <laughs> how likable do I need to be on stage? Well, I don't think I've turned the corner on that you just haven't? because, okay. well, I, I, I do have some uh, hot takes, uh -huh. if you will, uh -huh. but I mostly bring them around to... Like I, I have a, I have a bit where I use uh, the word fag, mm -hmm. but basically using logic, I, I explain like the only reason that word's offensive or any word for that matter is because we haven't come up with a good enough slur for white straight guys. And if there was that word, mm -hmm. then none of these words would be offensive. That's the only reason all these <laughs> other words are offensive because of white privilege. Uh -huh. And that's brilliant. You know. At first, when people hear it, there is like an, depending where you are in the country, uh -huh. people are not happy about hearing that of word. Of course, yeah. But, and, and that's really my first foray. And I, I, maybe I've got a few others, mm -hmm. but I'm not quite secure enough like George Carlin to mm. just be able to say, I love it when a lot of people die. <laughs> right. And then am able to make that super funny. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's that is like having all the money in the bank. Uh, all pardon me, all the chips, and like here you are. Let's yeah, see what happens now. Right. Fuck. Like that's that's right. That's it, it's kind of like yeah. You know what? I imagine it's like some super rich hedge fund investor mm -hmm. who's got all the money, like a George Soros, mm -hmm. being like, you know what? I want to see what would happen if uh, Rwanda was the richest country in the world for a day, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just flood their economy with whatever you know mm -hmm. i imagine it's the the one percenter version of comedy <laughs> that's brilliant oh my god is is there anything on this album that okay so we talked about you know it dates itself a little bit it also has some stuff that like you said is incredibly prescient is there anything on here that you listen to that seems like groundbreaking at all for carlin or or no in your experience um well, another thing that I, I've noticed Chappelle and Carlin are able to do is, mm -hmm. is just take poop and fart jokes uh -huh. to a level where you're just like, oh, you know, these are... I'm, and don't get me wrong. I love poop and fart jokes, but there's a certain level of awareness you have as an adult. Forget being a comic where you're just like, all right, well, I know 
this isn't really what I'm supposed to be laughing at. Mm -hmm. Or I know that this is cheap and easy, but where they make just like South Park, you know, Mm -hmm. where they make toilet humor smart Uh and funny, you know? Um, So there's some of that. Um, The cutting edge stuff was really... um, I mean, you did already talk. I mean, here's the thing. Talking about a bunch of people dying and turning that into something else is a challenge and is probably pretty cutting edge. Right. I just wasn't sure if there's anything that Well, just knowing, just, I guess Osama bin Laden, you know, really got his start with the World Trade Center bombing of 93. Uh Uh-huh. Which uh, I I used to do. This was actually my first joke where I was trying to be edgy. Uh Uh-huh. Where I was like, but it was it, it's too esoteric. Where I was like, do you think after watching Ace Ventura <laughs> and then failing to to blow up the World Trade Center in 1993, Osama was like, laces out. <laughs> and it's like you really, I mean, you it really you have to be born within like five years of me to, right, right, to right. really appreciate that joke. <laughs> Yeah, I get that. There you've got to you know your audience, I guess. Right. And it was I'm 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 I don't remember the exact word. It worked mm. a little bit better, but it's like he's just like in a cave somewhere, like laces out. <laughs> like he saw that the bombing only killed like one person. Right. And injured a dignitary. Uh-huh. Like. Do you I don't know, okay, so Forgive me, and same to the audience, forgive me if I've asked you this already, but like, because last time we talked was a while ago, yeah. and I don't want to retread how you got into comedy way, way, way too much, but... I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I've repeated stuff, and I, I hope I didn't, but I don't, <laughs> I don't like going to every podcast with like, ah, this is my podcast, mm-hmm. ready stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, maybe I did, I don't, I don't know. Was, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're fine, but uh, what's the difference between... Sandy at the beginning and Sandy now. Is there like a discernible, can you like demarcate, oh, I was this kind of comic or I did this kind of shit? Well, much like uh, Pryor and uh, not to equate myself to Pryor Uh and and Carlin where they had like this very presentable version of themselves Mm -hmm. and then sort of uh, tuned in, turned on and dropped out and sort of then had their awakening. Mm Mm-hmm. I did the opposite. I started out, I had really long hair. Mm-hmm. I was like a, a party sort of weed. I was like a character. I was like, not that it wasn't me, but I, I just played up a heightened version of this Belushi-esque stoner party guy. Mm-hmm. And then I had a rough patch in my life and and I quit smoking weed and I quit partying like that. Still once in a while, because, you know... It's sure, like, sure. Can't teach an old dog completely new tricks, <laughs> but... Uh, I started talking about stuff that, that was darker and more... Uh, had more weight to it, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Without, you know, being a shock comic. That's not what I was, but... You know, just being more myself and more mature on stage... While still, you know, relying on some of my old jokes. But, uh, yeah, now I'm more real. Mm-hmm. More autobiographical. Whereas before it was autobiographical, but more in a cartoon, cartoony. This relies on my look and personality. Whereas now 
I'm more focused on the jokes, mm-hmm. which, and, and I'm, I'd like to, you know, you have, when, when you do comedy, everybody has different skill sets and mm-hmm. I, I have different skill sets that I have yet to incorporate all of them into just my standup. Okay. I do characters. I do voices and impressions. I, I do physical comedy, but I haven't fully incorporated all those aspects into my act on stage as a stand-up. And is that for sure what you want to do with it? I just don't see how you don't put it all together at some point. If, okay. If that's if if that's your bag of tricks, why wouldn't you just use them all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because again, it's a little rever- little more reverse, Carlin, because Carlin was definitely voices voices like that's right. all this is this right. the like takeoffs and put-ons is just voices voices and great brilliant i think he taught people how to do the dj voice i think he taught people right. how to do certain things so it's interesting to go the reverse and like no I've, I've got more shit i want to do on stage like actually want to do not just what i have something to say but i have shit that i want to do on stage while i'm saying it right it's interesting well i just think that it's it's a lot easier to say heavier stuff mm-hmm. racier stuff mm-hmm and edgier stuff when you're when you gussy it up with with like a goofy voice or a funny act out. You yeah, know what I mean, well, it's a it's a good filter to have. And I'm gonna say this as a person, and we definitely talked about this last time. I'm super sensitive. Like I'm super sensitive about it. I'm fine with political correctness. Here's the thing. Like I know that you're a sensitive comic. I totally get that. Yeah. Um, but you are going to have, I think, I, I would guess, you're going to be more willing to watch something I wouldn't because you're like, I'm here for the art of it. Like, a, a smart person goes to a museum, looks at all the shit equally. Mm-hmm. You might go to a stand-up club, and everything is like, you, you can give it more of a chance than I would because I get a little, I get triggered, whatever the hell. You know, like, so... Yeah, I get, I, see, I, I, don't, I don't get triggered necessarily, but I think I've been so conditioned to know what triggers other people mm-hmm. that I'll listen to something and as soon as I hear something that I think will trigger somebody else I start seeing it through the lens of somebody who would be upset by it mm-hmm. like I was watching Chappelle last night mm-hmm. and he was talking about the Me Too stuff and mm-hmm. he was talking about uh, like a por- something with a porn star I don't remember exactly what but and I just found myself gravitating my eyes more towards women in the audience just to see how they're reacting sure and it's I think that's almost as interesting now at comedy clubs and it's hard for me to not and maybe that's just from my perspective as a comic but it's hard to not see how people are reacting to certain content mm-hmm and that kind of sucks. You know what? There's the argument that that the national discourse has changed and certain words and points of view are out of date. And I couldn't agree with that more. You watch certain comedies from the 80s and 90s and you're just like, whoa, all these gags are sexual assault or mm-hmm. all these gags are homophobic. Even you watch Friends and there's uh-huh. so much homophobia and 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 just stupid white people stuff <laughs> and like uh in um uh kimmy schmidt they nail it by calling it uh what like eight white complainers or whatever <laughs> yeah, so right. funny uh-huh. <laughs> but at the same time and and that does cause for innovation because you're not relying on old joke tropes and the word the word, word faggot as a punchline like i remember when i first started out and I apologize if that triggers you. No, no. But, you know, people 
could just go up there and say a word like that and it be a punchline and it's super easy and you know what i wouldn't be surprised if that still works in certain places i'm sure it does but you know that does cause people to have to go back to the drawing board try a little but at the same time i think that people get lost in context Mm -hmm. and they're looking to i think there's an endorphin rush when people get offended and so people look Mm -hmm. to get offended and i think that people take oh he was talking about transgender people Mm -hmm. and he's like my my new year's resolution was stop doing tranny jokes in 2018 which is really funny Mm -hmm. to me because you know he's gotten in trouble for that or whatever Yeah, yeah yeah but then he's continued to talk about it um and I was just like looking around to see the type of person. And it's weird because the anti-prejudice causes prejudice at the same time because you look for the people you think mm-hmm. are going to be offended by yeah. that. And you're just like, well, it's just, it's like two mirrors yeah. facing each other, you know? Yeah. But, you, and you you do find those people that you're like, oh, I figured you'd be offended by that. And they are. Mm-hmm. And they're not laughing and they're just kind of like looking at their phone during Mm -hmm. that and they're like kind of visually having like a visceral reaction but at the same time it's like taking into context and wait to see what he has to say don't just listen to the one word he said about it sure and it it'd be like a a hot button topic and you shut down Mm -hmm. and also even if it does offend you don't shut down and just be be triggered Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I think, the biggest problem we have today in the country is that instead of having a conversation, people are outraged and then it just becomes a yelling match. Mm-hmm. Or an, it, people get offended and they don't even try to yell back. They just go to their echo chambers. Uh-huh. And the, it, that's on every issue, I think, happening a lot and... It's it both hurts and helps comedy because the controvert any attention is good attention when it comes to sure, comedy. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, it, the First Amendment thing, which I think is <laughs> abused by a lot of people, tr- like using it as an excuse to be racist or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are lines in comedy, but rarely are they crossed. Like I was at an open mic in New York years ago and this guy his every punchline was the n-word wow just no context no point of view just up there thinking that the shock humor would be funny mm-hmm. and the next comic went up there and and basically like yelled and cried because he was so upset by it and then the guy got in a fist fight with the MC and the guy broke a bottle over the guy's head. So clearly this person is not a good person. Uh Uh So these are the people hiding behind the first amendment Mm -hmm. that are making the argument of it getting suppressed. Yeah. 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 But they're abusing that argument for when people who are masters of their craft, like Dave Chappelle Mm -hmm. or whoever else is Chris, you know, Chris rock or whoever else is, specials have been controversial in Mm -hmm. quotation marks it's like i think people really take what they're saying out of context and also there's a plausible deniability of their jokes Mm -hmm. don't take it that seriously right i mean 
I think every comic on some level wants to feel like what they're saying is important. Yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, the only thing that's important is the punchline. Mm -hmm. I can see that. What's funny is I straight up got us down this path and realized that I had a separate point to make, but it still wraps in perfectly, which is the idea of having a character is a perfect filter for that, if only because it dumbs it down. It will, or not dumbs it down. It will numb the sting of something that might trigger you or you might just fucking hate hearing. Like, because if I, let's say, if you did a character who, hi, I'm a racist asshole, you can say all the shit you want and make all the points you want about racism, whereas if it just comes out of your face and your voice. But you can, if you do it artfully and Mm -hmm. satirically, like I've definitely seen people do that just to be able to say the Mm N-word. Mm-hmm. And they and because they think that that word is funny on shock for, for sure, yeah. you know. But and they're they're like, what? It was. It's not me saying it. It's a character yeah, saying. Yeah. Like you have to find a like a legitimately satirical way to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. But but even if you do, people will still just find it offensive. Sure. No, and that does happen. Don't get me wrong. That does happen. I do wonder what we could talk all day about whether or not I think oh, Dave yeah, Chappelle is doing it the right way or not but it, and I I respect him as a comedian absolutely I just don't know I can't tell where the satire is when he does it yeah I, I get that I think he's coming from and you know I've ar- I've pontificated enough but <laughs> you know I think he's coming from a place where he feels like a victim uh-huh f- uh, both because he's black mm-hmm. and because he went through whatever he did with Chappelle show at oh, the yeah, end yeah. there. Sure. You know? you know, you watched his special? I did not. I did not. I avoided it. Okay. I wanted to see it and then, you know. You know, I have a different threshold, but I really didn't think it was what he was saying was all that offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's hard to speak to what other people experience and and saying that someone who's been sexually assaulted is a brittle spirit you know i could see people maybe being upset by that Mm -hmm. but you know the way he does it you know it's meant to be taken a little bit more Mm lighthearted. and i think the timing of it you know yeah for sure could be what is causing all the backlash right right but at the same time, what are we all supposed to agree on one point of view? Sure. No, absolutely. Right. You know? And that's and again, I think that's that's kind of the point of having that wall of art there. You get to pick and choose what you like, what you don't. At what, right. I, I am all for though giving it more of a chance than people do. I do try and hear shit out, even yeah. if I don't like it or I don't want to hear it, I don't think it was artful. I want to discover that by the end of, of I'd like course. to get to the end of the sentence first. Of course. You know. But he does a thing in the the second what i his special i like that he did like a very stripped down special at the comedy store okay like, yeah that's something that i've always i want to do one where it's like me and seven people at the comedy store yeah because that's really my wheelhouse and that's really where i'm at my best yeah you know? like nobody showed up you've no, got these seven or no people. a bunch of people were there okay and they all <laughs> left because they were watching brilliant. hours of comedy brilliant brilliant and i have to win them over i love that which is my version, really my version of, of like 
saying controversial stuff and still being likable. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you've seen three hours of comedy and are thinking about paying your meter or like <laughs> what time you're going to get to sleep to get eight hours for tomorrow morning mm-hmm. or like what food you're going to get after this. Well, I'm going to make you want to still watch. Yeah. Yeah. But he does like some, his version of that in mm-hmm. the belly room of the comedy store. And he does this story about um, this prostitute from from a book from a famous pimp from like the 40s or 50s. Okay. And basically it was a metaphor for how he was treated during the demise of the Chappelle show. Okay. Yeah. Him being the prostitute. Mm-hmm. But I think that he, the next evolution in his career maybe is to to get over feeling like the victim cuz <laughs> he's sort of made a comeback at this point. Uh-huh. And he's a with, bajillionaire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's doing okay. Like it's hard to he, my problem with all of it is that his point of view is that he's still coming from he's playing both sides mm-hmm. he plays like he talks about trump stuff where he's like it's okay baby i'm rich mm-hmm. i like the tax cuts it it helps me mm-hmm. but i feel for the other side yeah, yeah so he's playing like both that and the victim of like all these other times in his life that he's oppressed yeah so it's hard. I think the evolution is like just not playing the victim card from the from the Chappelle show thing anymore. For sure. And I mean, there are definitely people who, to go back to prior specifically, that's a dude who was richer than God and didn't make, that didn't come across in his comedy. Right. He could even totally. talk about how much money he had, but he did it in such a way you're still like, oh, this dude's my friend. Well, yeah, because he grew up under such unfair circumstances Mm -hmm. such abusive circumstances Mm -hmm. where you know no matter how much money you make you still carry that with you Mm -hmm. and to go back to the carlin album that i listened to one of the things that uh it's analogous to what we're talking about is that he has a thing about the cops and how he which which is relevant today and he's doing it 2001 he's like I don't trust the cops. They're not on our side. Mm-hmm. They're they're the bad guys. They're not for good. They're for the state. They're for the government. You mm-hmm. know that's who's paying them. Why would I? Why would you rat anyone out? You're. They shouldn't call them tipsters. They should all just be rats and squealers. <laughs> no one would call if it was the the rats and squealers <laughs> hotline. But if it's see something, say something. Oh, that's you're helping out. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, it's it is interesting territory just because we don't want to live in a world where if you know somebody's killing people or hurting people or raping people or causing general harm you want that to go on but at the same time i think there's a general cynicism about the police and the government mm-hmm. that resonates and it is really interesting to think you know i think it's outdated to to the 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 code of like not snitching mm-hmm. just because we've had terrorist attacks and for we've sure, had sure. Yeah. all these systematic oppression of women and this person, and that person, whether it's the me too movement or uh, human trafficking, whatever, where it's like, mm-hmm. If you hear something about that, you're going to feel, you might be a little scared, but you're going to uh-huh. be compelled to say something. Right. One hopes. But at the same time, 
I see where that stems from. And he was thrown in jail for talking. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. like this is a guy who was oppressed by the police that still 40 years later feels that. Mm -hmm. So it seems like uh, when I talk about Chappelle getting over it, it's probably not going to happen anytime soon if Carlin's any indication. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a a solid comparison. Um, Okay. So uh, (laughs) let's talk about uh, why listen to the album that you picked. We've talked about takeoffs and put-ons enough to say, hey, this is Carlin kind of breaking out of his shell. Great. Let's listen to the... Uh, why listen to Carlin's last release? Post... post. I don't think this was his last... Well, it, it technically is, but yeah, yeah, yeah. he recorded it way before right. um, some of his stuff came out. But why listen to it? Mm-hmm. Just as a interesting retrospect, think of it like... Think of... Think of it as if somebody in, uh, like, August 2016 was talking about Trump colluding with Russia. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Think about it as if, like, Patton Oswalt was on stage Mm -hmm. talking about, like, in-depth stuff, like, Easter egg type stuff about... Trump colluding with Russia in the Me Too movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a in a very controversial way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just interesting to hear like I don't people in 2001 were not talking about Osama bin Laden. No. no. And it's just weird to hear him referenced in a comedy bit from right before his um his tour de force if you will. Mm-hmm. Coming from uh the perspective of of the terrorist world. Osama, this is Osama bin Laden's uh, live from the Sunset Strip. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's it's as if it was being referenced a year before it was in the making. Yeah. You so. know, legitimately, it's rare that you can say a comedy album is ahead of its time, but this is one that didn't get to be released until after, and it proves right. that somebody legit can be. It's interesting. Right. He's talking about terrorism on, on planes. Mm-hmm. And uh, police being anti-citizen, you know, mm-hmm. it's all yeah. it's all prescient and and interesting to hear. So, I mean, it's not it's not gut busting. Mm-hmm. I'll say that there yeah. are there are laughs, uh-huh. but it's more interesting to hear, and it's very articulate and funny to think that's what was going on in comedy then. Mm-hmm. You, when you think about stand-up in the early 2000s, I mean, Chris Rock and Seinfeld, really, what else was there? Right. right. That was that was relevant, mm-hmm. at least. You know, like, Def Comedy Jam? Right. Which is the complete opposite of what this Carlin album is. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm hard-pressed to even come up with any other examples. Dane Cook, maybe? Mm-hmm. But he didn't really hit until four or five years after that. Right. Mitch Hedberg, maybe? Sure. But again, all this stuff, the complete opposite of all that. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. I love it. Okay. This is going to come out in a few weeks, like I said. Where can people find you on Twitter, et cetera, website? And what do you have, if anything, to promote? At sandydanto.com. Mm-hmm. Sandy y, or at Sandy Danto for Twitter and Instagram. A Sandy Y D A N T O. Sandydanto.com is my website. I'm going to be coming out with a podcast this spring called Rad Dad Pod. Uh huh. 
Um, my wife is pregnant. Congrats. Thank you. And I just said congrats. Congratulations. Thank I'm you. Sorry. Thank I don't you. Say no, that. it's okay. Gross. It's okay. Gross. <laughs> um, it's the thought that counts, uh-huh, sure. which I'm mostly against because uh-huh. it it just encourages such mediocrity. It's like, <laughs> oh, you screwed up royally, but you had good intentions. Uh-huh. No, let's not encourage that. But um, she's due in July, and I have a friend who has a one-year-old mm-hmm. who's going to be my mentor into fatherhood as a comedian. Oh, and my just, God. Like how to become a dad and maintain your lifestyle and your career and do it all without losing your sense of self mm-hmm. i love it that's great Thank you. i will listen to that podcast awesome um i think that's about it the only thing for me is just go to stolendress.com go to bit.ly forward slash comedy albums and that'll get you to celery sound records my tiny independent sketch comedy record label and you can check that out that's about it sandy again thank you so much for doing the show and uh thank you guys for listening and as always have a good thing Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune into the new Stand Up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. 